1: Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show.
2: Anyone who's been paying attention knows that the Supreme Court has been hijacked by far-right extremists. But not all extremists are ideologically the same. There is some variation and Alito is, for whatever reason as of late, trying to distinguish himself as the most extreme, as the firebrand conservative on the court. And he is going to demonstrate this by attacking his colleagues for not being anti-gay enough. This is actually something that he did. Not kidding. As Kate Riga of Talking Points Memo explains, at a Thursday night event at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University, Alito had harsh words for the two conservative justices who joined the majority in Bostock v. Clayton County. The 2020 opinion said that the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits sex-based discrimination, extends to gay and transgender workers. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion, in which he was joined by the Liberals and Chief Justice John Roberts. Speaking via a video feed Thursday, Alito called Gorsuch a colleague and friend but said that grounding the decision in the text of the 1964 law was, in my view, indefensible, according to the Washington Post. The court's opinion is like a pirate ship, he wrote in his dissent. It sails under a textualist flag, but what it actually represents is a theory of statutory interpretation that Justice Scalia excoriated, the theory that courts should update old statutes so that they better reflect the current values of society. Oh no, because updating old statutes to better reflect a changing society would be terrible, wouldn't it? Now, you know, this article gave us a summary of that case, but I will link you to the Cornell summary of the Bostock v. Clayton County case. But basically, the Supreme Court held that an employer who fires an individual merely for being gay or transgender violates Title VII. So in other words, you can't literally fire someone because they're gay or transgender. But Alito is saying, no, actually, you should be able to fire someone for being gay or transgender specifically. You don't have to cite any other reason, just you're gay and I don't like that. And that should be permissible constitutionally. He says it's indefensible to think that there should be protections for LGBTQ plus workers. It's just absurd. The Supreme Court has maintained for a while that you can't discriminate on the basis of immutable characteristics. That's unconstitutional. You can't discriminate against someone for being gay, the same as you can't discriminate against someone for being a woman. But Alito is saying, yeah, actually, you should be able to do that. This is an individual who's so extreme that he thinks that being gay isn't a right, but being able to discriminate against gay people is. But yet he's not partisan. No, he is a partisan hack. Now, this isn't the first time that Alito has spoken out against constitutional rights for LGBTQ plus people. For example, when he gave a keynote speech at the Federalist Society in November of 2020, he slammed the Supreme Court decision which struck down bans on same-sex marriages, saying it has led to censorship of people who believe marriage is a union of one man and one woman and says freedom of speech is falling out of favor in some circles. Now, in the draft opinion where he overturns Roe, he also said that gay intimacy and same-sex marriages were decisions based on phony rights that are not deeply rooted in history. So he's salivating over the prospect of taking away rights from LGBTQ plus people. It's just ridiculous. And we're supposed to believe that the Supreme Court is apolitical? I mean, he is as extreme as it gets. He's an explicitly partisan actor, but yet we're supposed to believe that he's guided by some judicial philosophy? I mean, no, he does... What reactionaries want, he does what he wants, and then he applies a judicial philosophy to his reasoning in order to legitimize it. But there's no legitimacy there. The Supreme Court is an illegitimate institution. He's just legislating at this point, which, ironically, he would accuse his colleagues of doing. I mean, if you want to write laws, Alito, run for Congress. But you shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. Like, he's broadcasting to people, hey, all of these protections that LGBTQ plus people have fought for and won, send them to the Supreme Court. We'll grant you a writ of certiorari and I will strike them down on make sure that that happens." It's it's ridiculous, but it's it's really believable. It's not surprising, right? We should never become accustomed to this, but this is what's happening and it's time for people to acknowledge that the Supreme Court is a nakedly political institution at this point and to pretend otherwise isn't just harmful, but it's incredibly naive. Well, Donald Trump still hasn't learned his lesson, and he never will. He is now crying foul about the GOP primary taking place in Pennsylvania. Now, at the time that I record this video, we still don't have the results. The race is too close to call, with Dr. Oz narrowly leading by about 1,700 votes, with 98% of precincts reporting. And we probably won't find out who actually will win until a day or two. But um, Trump decided to take to social media, Truth Social to be exact, and put out a tweet or rather, a truth, I guess that's what he's calling them, about how Dr. Oz should just declare victory right now to stop his opponents from cheating. He writes, Dr. Oz should declare victory. It makes it much harder for them to cheat with the ballots that they just happen to find. Now, this is a GOP primary. Are Republicans going to cheat against Republicans? Because he's maintained that it's the Democrats who always cheat. So in this instance, they're cheating again? Why? See, the thing is that it's very, very obvious. If an election doesn't go his way, then, by definition, it's rigged. If it goes his way, then it's not rigged. That's the way he operates. But there's a very specific reason, I think, why he decided to make this tweet. It's because Dr. Oz's opponent, who Trump did not endorse, by the way, he said something that uh, might have set off a red flag in Trump's head, given the conspiracy uh, theories that Trump believes. Take a look.
1: Now we're going to We're going to win this campaign. We're going to win this campaign. And uh and tomorrow right now we have tens of thousands of of mail-in ballots that have not been counted that are going to need to be counted beginning tomorrow. And uh and so that's uh, unfortunately we're not going to have resolution tonight but we can see the path ahead. We can see victory ahead. And it's all because of you. So thank you, Pennsylvania.
2: Yeah, so that right there is probably why Trump made that tweet or truth. It's such a stupid name for a platform. Um, because of mail-in ballots. He believes that mail-in ballots are inherently fraudulent. And therefore, if there's mail-in ballots involved, then it's always going to benefit the people who he doesn't support somehow. It's not like they're going to benefit him ever. It's always going to benefit the people who he doesn't like. I mean, that doesn't even make sense, but it's Donald Trump, so trying to understand his logic is completely pointless. But here's the thing. Oz right now is leading. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen. 98% of precincts are reporting. If it is the case that Dr. Oz actually does win then what? Is Trump uh, Trump going to come out and apologize and say, look, I was wrong to think that there was going to be foul play here. Of course, David McCormick, you know, he would never have rigged this election against Dr. Oz. Um, I-, I apologize for misleading you. Of course, he's not going to do that. He never, ever do that. It's Donald Trump we're talking about. This is a compulsive liar who lies so much that he probably isn't even aware of the fact that he's lying when words come out of his mouth. So, I, I mean, this isn't surprising. We've dealt with this guy for four years, um, which is far too long, and we'll be dealing with him for the foreseeable future, so this is just his antics. If he doesn't like something, his instinct is to throw a temper tantrum and claim, they're uh, treating me unfairly, they're rigging it, it's, uh, it's bias. Like, this is what he does. That's his shtick. But meanwhile, while Trump is claiming that, you know, this race may be, uh, unfairly biased against dr oz or they could be rigging it against dr oz well another candidate in this race kathy barnett who came in third place she's crying foul herself but for very different reasons that are actually legitimate take a look
0: i do want to say never forget what sean hannity did in this race almost single-handedly Sean Hannity sowed deep seas of disinformation, flat out lies every night for the past five days. And that was just extremely hard to overcome, apparently. And yet, over 300,000 of you came out. You refuse to be tricked and bamboozled. You refuse to believe the lies because that's exactly what they were.
2: Now listen, I am glad that she lost because in this race, she was the most extreme candidate that was electorally viable. She literally marched on January 6th with the Proud Boys. She's an actual insurrectionist. So somebody who actually doesn't believe in democracy should be nowhere near power ever. But... What she says here about Sean Hannity is correct because Sean Hannity, he brought on Dr. Mehmet Oz and decided to attack Kathy Barnett when she started to surge in the polls and become a threat. And uh, when Dr. Oz addressed his uh, followers at a rally last night, well, he had a thank you message for Sean Hannity that basically confirms what Kathy Barnett says here.
3: I want to thank Sean Hannity. Sean's like a brother to me. When Sean punches through something, he really punches through it. Uh, He understands exactly how to make a difference. And he's been doing that this entire campaign, Uh, much of it behind the scenes, giving me advice on late night conversations. Again, the kinds of things that true friends do
2: for each other. So Dr. Oz right there is admitting that one of the most major political pundits in the country at the number one news network in America, is colluding with him behind the scenes to help give him a boost, not just advice, but using his gigantic platform to sway the results of this race. Now, this isn't necessarily new for Sean Hannity. Uh, I believe it was him that spoke at a Trump rally, which is bizarre to me because if you purport to be a serious news person, then in theory, you'd want to make it appear as if you're impartial, right? You're not choosing a side, you're just covering the facts as they are, but you're not going to share your own personal opinion. But we know that Sean Hannity He doesn't play by the rules of journalistic ethics in DC at all. So, you know, when Kathy Barnett says, you know, maybe Sean Hannity single handedly tanked our campaign, she's not necessarily wrong. But it's a little bit ironic to me that the literal insurrectionist who was there on January 6th, she's not the one who's crying foul. I mean, she's claiming that she lost because a media figure helped you know, uh, sink her campaign. But she's not claiming that this race was rigged because of mail-in ballots. The individual who's claiming that is Donald Trump when his candidate is pulling ahead. Now, it may be by, you know, about 1,700 votes, but he's still pulling ahead. And still, you're claiming, well, you should do the undemocratic thing and declare victory just so they can't find ballots anywhere. I mean, at the end of the day, what's the difference between Dr. Oz and David McCormick? In my mind, uh, they're ideologically the same. I I don't really think they have any ideological principles, especially Dr. Oz, but I don't like Dr. Oz in particular because he's a celebrity and I don't want to normalize rich and famous people running for office because I think that qualified people who actually care, who are working class themselves, should be the ones who are running for office. So that's why, if I had to choose, I'd pick David McCormick in this race. But when it comes to how they're going to vote in the Senate, what they're going to go along with, you know, they're just gonna be puppets for Mitch McConnell and the GOP and Trump if he ever becomes the president again. God forbid, knock on wood, but, you know, it's possible. So, what's the difference functionally? Why is it different between Dr. Oz and David McCormick to Trump anyways that it's necessary to literally rig the election? So, you know, I just wanted to give you an update. The GOP primary in Pennsylvania is an absolute mess, and um, if Dr. Oz does not actually win, then you can count on more conspiracy theories for Donald Trump because he hasn't harmed democracy enough by delegitimizing, you know, what's left of our institutions. Now he's going to say, well, there's more foul play here because it didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. And this is going to be just what he does going forward because it's Donald Trump. He doesn't care about democracy. He just cares about his own self-aggrandizement. And if he becomes the president again, then he wants someone in office like Dr. Mehmet Oz, who's going to be a very loyal soldier for him. So, yeah, we'll leave that there. Well, as you might have heard, there's been a couple of primaries that have taken place tonight across multiple states, and I really had no intention of doing a video on this tonight. My expectations were to the floor, and I really only do videos about elections if There's good news that there's cause for celebration, but the following day I was planning to do a breakdown as to why the night didn't go as we had hoped for, because that's just what I've become accustomed to doing on this channel. I've been doing it for a very long time, Uh, but I've got to say the night did not go the way that I expected. In fact, this is probably actually the best night the left has ever had since I've been covering politics here on YouTube. I mean, centrists went down in flames across the country. Progressives had blowouts, uh, one in unexpected races, one in expected races, but still, I had my doubts because this is America and whatever can go wrong usually does go wrong. So even in these races, like the Pennsylvania Democratic Party primary, you know, John Fetterman was pulling far ahead, but I still thought, I just, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Who knows what can go wrong? Uh, But in this instance, a lot of things went right, and we even saw some unexpected things happen on the GOP side where more fire-breathing, psychotic Republicans who were endorsed by Donald Trump not doing too hot. So we're going to break it down. I'm honestly a little bit, like, struck uh, taken aback by the results tonight because, again, I was anticipating bad news. I had braced for bad news. But what I'm getting is the opposite. And genuinely, I don't know how to process it because in, a, in the United States of America, especially if you're a leftist, this usually doesn't happen. So let's talk about the Republicans first. So Madison Cawthorn has lost his primary. It is official. Insurrectionist Madison Cawthorn will be a one-term congressman. He was defeated by Chuck Edwards. Now, Chuck Edwards is someone who, he's a Republican, so if you're watching this program and you watch this program regularly, you're not going to agree with him, but he seems like a more rank-and-file establishment Republican, like he has his faux-populism thing going on, but he doesn't seem as, like, I don't know, insane as Madison Cawthorn. So, to not have Madison Cawthorn in Congress is really great because Madison Cawthorn is psychotic. And if we have one more Republican who's seemingly going to blend in with the rest of them and we don't have this individual who's kind of getting a lot of uh, headlines and shifting the country to the right, I think that's genuinely a good thing. But I've got to say, you know, ever since Madison Cawthorn said that there are members of Congress who uh, like to partake in uh, parties involving, you know, white substances, maybe flour, um, and on top of that, uh, he- he said that they like to attend sex parties. They've had it out for him. There's been a slow drip of scandals about Madison Cawthorn and, I mean, these are scandals that essentially lead me to believe that he's a closeted homosexual even though he's publicly anti-gay. I mean, some of the things are very bizarre. There's a video that they leaked of him naked with- uh, I'm not sure if this was confirmed- but his cousin in a bed and he was humping his cousin's face. Look- All of these scandals don't really matter much to me. Uh, What he does in Congress is by far much more damaging, but the GOP had it out for him, which leads me to believe that, you know, the uh, white substance sex parties are a real thing. And now that he lost, I hope that he names names. But there's that. So getting to the uh, Republican primary in the state of Pennsylvania, you had David McCormick, Dr. Oz, and Kathy Barnett. And currently, you know, we're not going to know the results, but Dr. Oz and David McCormick are in a dead heat, and Kathy Barnett is coming in a distant third place. And I've got no love for Dr. Oz and uh, David McCormick, but Kathy Barnett was, I think, the worst in this race because she was so extreme. She marched with the Proud Boys, you know, at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. But whereas you have someone like Dr. Oz endorsed by Donald Trump, struggling currently. Madison Cawthorn, also endorsed by Donald Trump, so that's something to keep in mind if his influence is waning. Um, And and honestly, in this race, I'm not rooting for any of them, but David McCormick is probably like the preferable one, because I think he's the most boring who Could lose easier against John Fetterman because John Fetterman, and I've kind of spoiled the next result, but I'm sure you've heard heard of it by now. You know, John Fetterman. I want someone who he can beat, and Dr. Oz has name recognition. He's a celebrity, and he's embarrassed himself. You know, he's flip flopped on a number of issues. He released that embarrassing gun ad where he pretended to care about guns. So, you know. I want David McCormick to be the one that John Fetterman faces. And we're not sure how this is going to turn out. But I mean, in terms of a GOP primary, I usually don't care. But if the least crazy one wins, then that's when I'm I'm happy. But let's get to what we all care about. The results on the Democratic Party primary side. And of course, John Fetterman, it wasn't even close. I mean, this is what polling indicated, but he absolutely destroyed the centrist Connor Lamb, whose mansion's mini me, in a landslide, 59 to 26. Let me repeat those numbers: fifty-nine to twenty-six percent. Now, I went into this thinking, okay, a couple of days ago, John Fetterman had a stroke, I believe he had a medical issue, and I thought that that could change things. And even before that happened, you know, seeing this lead, I've I've been around long enough to see giant leads evaporate. Nina Turner in twenty twenty one, Bernie Sanders in twenty twenty. So I thought, not gonna get my hopes up. But I, I mean, in this instance, what we expected to happen if you follow, the polls did happen. John Fetterman absolutely crushed Connor Lamb, who is a corporate Democrat, who's terrible, who's essentially a Republican. Like, he should be competing in the Republican primary, but he's in the Democratic Party primary. And, you know, he said that uh, if you want a socialist, if you want someone who's going to be attacked by Republicans, then vote for John Fetterman. Turns out, that's exactly what people want in the state of Pennsylvania. So uh, kick rocks, eat shit. Hope to never see you again, Connor Lamb. Fuck you. Now, when it comes to the state of Kentucky, this is something that I'm very excited about. So a couple of years ago, Mitch McConnell, he was uh, up for re-election, and there was a Democratic Party primary between Amy McGrath and Charles Booker. Now, the Democratic Party establishment came out for Amy McGrath and everyone said she's going to lose because she's offering voters nothing. And she did indeed lose. We all wanted Charles Booker because even if it would be an uphill battle, even if it would be very difficult for Charles Booker to win in a deep red state like Kentucky, he at least has a grassroots movement behind him. He at least is offering voters something. Therefore, he has a better chance. Well, turns out he defeated multiple opponents in a Democratic Party primary in a landslide. So he will be facing off against Rand Paul this November. And you know, look, this is going to be a tough battle. But if anyone's going to face off against Rand Paul, who I'm confident in, it's Charles Booker. This is going to be tough, and we're all going to have to do our part to help him. Phone banking, canvassing, donations. Uh, but the fact that he won this, and he actually has the chance now, I think this is really exciting. Now, for this next race, I, I did not expect this to happen, and it came very, very, very close by a couple of hundred votes, but somebody very progressive won her Democratic Party primary. I'm, of course, talking about Summer Lee, who defeated Steve Irwin by just a couple of hundred votes. I'll take it. This is someone who believes in Medicare for All, not that cancellation. Her politics are in line with the squad. She's more in line with viewers of this channel. So she actually is a real progressive. She run this. Uh, she ran this campaign with zero corporate money. She ran this campaign as a staunch progressive and it paid off and she is going to be a firebrand in congress and i am really really excited to see her uh, if she gets elected she still has to face off in a general election but um, just to have her win this primary is really really exciting now uh last but certainly not least in my state of oregon there's been a corporate democrat dickhead who's essentially a conservative republican named kurt schrader And at the time that I record this, he is getting demolished with 40% of precincts reporting Kurt Schrader is losing to Jamie McLeod Skinner. And I've got to say, if he were to lose this and check the comment section because I'll be providing you with updates if there are any, uh, then I cannot tell you how happy I will be because of how mad he will be. This is an establishment Democrat who is essentially a Joe Manchin light, if you will. And He's a sellout he's been bought and paid for by special interests so to have him be defeated by somebody who had not nearly as much money as uh, as him you just you love to see it and i I think honestly the tweet of the night is going to go to ken klippenstein who says centrist dem's eating a lot of shit today yeah so uh, i don't know why this is the case why centrist democrats are all of a sudden performing so poorly but i can't help but think that part of this is due to the way that they responded to the repeal of Roe v. Wade, how they haven't really been doing enough. I'm not necessarily sure and we'll have to really wait and see what the exit polls say, do a deeper dive, right? But either way, this might have been the one thing that restored the spark. This might get me out of this doomer attitude that I've been feeling since Nina Turner lost. And to be clear, it goes before it goes back further than Nina Turner losing. But, you know, it's been very difficult to stay optimistic and be hopeful at all when there's just you know, um, loss after loss after loss. You know, we're down to we get kicked some more. Get kicked even more. Kicked in the teeth. It, it just felt like we were never going to get a break. But at least when it comes to Democratic Party primaries, maybe the Democratic Party's base is waking up to the fact that the Democratic Party needs to change. This is what we've been saying on this show for years. So, look, I, I don't even know how to process this information. I'm still in a little bit of disbelief, but what I want to do is leave you with Summer Lee's concession speech because um, the energy is there and I absolutely love it. So enjoy. Well, in a 6-3 decision, the Supreme Court has voted to make our already broken campaign finance system much, much worse. So they struck down a campaign finance regulation that prohibits candidates from using campaign funds to pay back their personal loans. Yeah. Now, this entire case was spearheaded by... Ted Cruz. He purposefully violated this law in an effort to challenge its constitutionality and we are learning today that that effort has paid off. As HuffPost explains, Senator Ted Cruz can now hit up donors to help pay himself back for the $555,000 he loaned to his campaigns in 2012 and 2018. Cruz won the ability to recoup his loans with political donor money after the court ruled that a 2002 campaign finance law creates an unconstitutional burden on freedom of speech. That law prohibits candidates from raising up to $250,000 in post-election contributions to repay loans made during a federal political campaign." Yeah, so this institution, as far as I'm concerned, has no legitimacy. This is the institution that claims that corporations are people, money is speech, but yet women can't have control over their own bodies because that's not enumerated in the Constitution. The founders didn't explicitly say that abortion is in the Constitution, therefore, you don't have that right. But these corporations, they can contribute unlimited sums of money to politicians. I mean, what a joke. Now, to be fair, this isn't anything new if you've been paying attention. They're building upon already bad precedent that has functionally broken our democracy. So it started in the late 70s with Buckley v. Valeo, where the court struck down limits on campaign expenditures, arguing that it violated the First Amendment. And then in 2010, they opened the floodgates with Citizens United, where the court held that limits on individual political contributions violated freedom of speech. And in 2014 with McCutcheon, they did away with the last remaining restrictions on campaign donations, striking down limits on political contributions over a two year period. So what this is going to do is make our already corrupt system exponentially worse. It's already the case that you don't really have a voice in our supposed democracy uh, unless you have a lot of money, but it's just going to get worse. Nothing will change. It just will get much, much worse. Now I want to pinpoint the dissent written by um, Elena Kagan. So Justice Elena Kagan, Basically, panned a scathing dissent explaining exactly what I'm telling you that this is permitting uh, corruption, essentially. That's exactly what this is going to do. And the conservative majority is allowing this to happen. They're green lighting quid pro quos. How is this acceptable? So she writes, political contributions that will line a candidate's own pockets given after his election to take office pose a special danger of corruption, Kagan argued, pointing to the issue of recouping personal loans. The candidate has a more than usual interest in obtaining the money to replenish his personal finances and is now in a position to give something in return. The donors well understand his situation and are eager to take advantage of it. In short, everyone's incentives are stacked to enhance the risk of dirty dealing. Post election donors can be confident their money will enrich a candidate personally, Kagan wrote. And those donors have, of course, learned which candidate won. When they give money to repay the victor's loan, they know, not merely hope, he will be in a position to perform official favors. The recipe for quid pro quo corruption is thus in place. A donation to enhance the candidate's own wealth, the quid, made when he has become able to use the power of public office to the donor's advantage. The quo. The politician is happy. The donors are happy. The only loser loser is the public it inevitably suffers from government corruption she continued in allowing those payments to go forward unrestrained today's decision can only bring this country's political system into further disrepute and she's absolutely correct our democracy at this point is broken it is incapable of performing the most basic functions for its people and it's not just because of campaign finance laws being too lax to be clear because there's also institutions that just favor Republicans, the Electoral College, you know, um, gerrymandering. But it's getting worse, and it's going to continue to get worse. And I always talk about this study, but in 2014, uh, Princeton University released a study by Doctors Gillens and Page, and they found that when you look at policy outcomes, normal Americans have a statistically insignificant impact on what gets passed. But economic elites and special interests, they actually do dictate what becomes law and they're not trying to say that the correlation specifically is because of citizens united but what they're saying is that we have a democracy that doesn't represent the people it only represents wealthy people so in this instance if the people can no longer affect change that democracy begins to break down it can no longer survive so what elena kagan is saying here is you're opening the floodgates even more And there's going to be a breaking point. You're now enabling quid pro quos in an absurd way. Like, this decision is insane, but yet you're just allowing this to happen, building on already bad precedent that's going to ruin democracy. But yet, simultaneously—and she's not saying this, I am—they are overturning 50-year precedent when it comes to women's reproductive health, and they're probably soon going to get rid of other uh, rights that aren't specifically enumerated in the Constitution. Marriage equality, the right to be gay in this country— contraception. So it's going to get worse. And this institution is killing democracy. And as they continue to do this, their legitimacy will decrease. Um, And there's going to be more outcries from the public. And, you know, I don't blame them. The protests will continue because this is not okay. This is not acceptable. But this is exactly what you can expect when you have far-right extremists on the Supreme Court when they shouldn't even be there because their seats were stolen from Barack Obama. Right. Remember that when uh, Obama nominated Merrick Garland, Mitch McConnell didn't even offer him a hearing. They kept that seat open until Trump came into power and then they filled that seat. And then they claimed, you know, we can't do this. We can't fill seats during an election year. The people have to make their voices heard. But in 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and then they replaced her a week before the election. So there's no standards. Like we talk about court packing. Conservatives have already packed the Supreme Court. So yet, Democrats are too afraid to talk about court packing, it's already been packed. The Supreme Court has been ruined. It will be extreme for a generation only if we're lucky. So this is what we have to look forward to. More insane decisions like this that will continue to destroy American democracy. So I want to talk about a fairly interesting story because I feel like these types of stories should happen more often, but they don't. So, Miles Taylor, the individual in this photograph with Donald Trump, he is a former Trump official. He worked at the Department of Homeland Security, and he is the one who claims he wrote that anonymous op-ed in the New York Times back in 2018 where he claimed that there are indeed grown-ups within the administration trying to stop Trump from acting on his worst inclinations. Now, he explained how, you know, little by little, as he worked for Trump— He saw how unhinged he was, and eventually, he turned on Donald Trump completely. He decided to announce that he'd be voting for Joe Biden in 2020, and then he started to behave as a sort of anti-Trump Republican in an effort to reform the party. But after trying for not that long, he's already concluding that it's not possible. The GOP cannot be saved. In fact, he tweeted this out. I'm done. I no longer believe the Republican Party can be saved. The vitriolic rhetoric is inspiring violent radicals. I'm quitting the GOP, and I hope more do the same." Now for him, it seems like the straw that broke the camel's back was the Buffalo shooting. He sees how the GOP has been talking about the Great Replacement Theory, specifically media figures like Tucker Carlson. Uh, You have some politicians like Matt Gaetz and one of the leaders of the Republican House, Elise Stefanik. I mean, the party is becoming more and more extreme. And as they continue with this extreme behavior, the country will descend further into violence and fascism. So he tried to kind of go the path of Liz Cheney and reform the party but um he realized that it's not really something that you can do and he wrote an op-ed explaining this titled after buffalo saving the gop means leaving the gop i thought the republican party could be saved i was wrong and he'd be correct about that the gop i mean at this point with how much momentum they have in one direction it'd be almost impossible for them to change course donald trump has remade this party in his own image but one thing that bothers me about this is that I mean, Miles Taylor, he didn't see it when we all saw it. I mean, it was evident that Trump was a fascist, but yet he still worked for Donald Trump. At the same time, though, I feel conflicted about that because he was one of the grownups in the room that was trying to stop Trump from doing stupid things like bombing Mexico or nuking hurricanes, presumably. Um, so we needed people like that. We needed adults to explain to Trump why you can't do these types of terrible things. But at the same time, I, I find it really hard to accept the fact that they couldn't see that this was the trajectory that the GOP was headed on. The GOP, for decades, was pandering to people like Donald Trump. And then eventually, they got a little bit more than what they bargained for. They fucked around too much, and then they found out. The monkeys have taken over the zoo. Now you have a bunch of feral animals controlling the GOP, all at the behest of Donald Trump. And I think that a lot of folks, like Miles Taylor, they think that, yes, the GOP Their rhetoric is very extreme. They're proto fascists, but they're never going to descend into full blown fascism, right? And the answer is that's wrong. Proto fascism always leads to fascism, it's an inevitability. There's always this period in fascism where there's no violence. You galvanize the base, you identify the enemy, and then that's when you strike. And we're in that transition period today. We are descending into violent fascism. And this was always the trajectory. I don't know how he didn't see this. And I also am skeptical of his motives here. Is he just saying this now at the right moment because he wants to sell books, create his own, you know, a career? I think he's probably more genuine than someone like Liz Cheney. I don't believe that Liz Cheney actually cares. I think she's someone Who is an opportunist and maybe she wants to run for president at some point as the anti-Trump Republican? I don't know. But what I do know is that this op-ed that he wrote is actually pretty solid because he states some facts about the GOP that are undeniable that I think that regular rank-and-file voters of the GOP need to actually internalize and question, is this what I want to support? Do I want to continue to support the party that is literally killing democracy? So let's get into his op-ed here. He writes the vitriolic GOP rhetoric is inspiring violent radicals and I don't say that lightly. After more than a decade in counterterrorism, it's clear to me that my party is mainstreaming conspiracy theories that are fueling a statistical spike in political intimidation, attitudes toward violence, and the specter of domestic terrorism that we witnessed this weekend in New York. This isn't a partisan broadside, it's a public safety warning. The Buffalo shooter was apparently radicalized by racist viewpoints that many Republicans espouse, and that danger can't be tolerated any longer. An Associated Press poll in December found that nearly 50% of Republicans agree to some degree with the sentiments of the Great Replacement Theory the Buffalo shooter allegedly used as justification for hunting and killing Black Americans who comprised most of the victims of Saturday's attack. Meanwhile, the vast majority of Republicans, more than 70% in a University of Massachusetts poll released more than a year after the 2020 election, still contest the results of the last presidential vote. This has seemed to encourage dozens of GOP candidates to compete in federal primaries by campaigning on rage over a rigged election. At the same time, the party is going after the foundations of democracy itself. GOP lawmakers have curtailed voting rights in nearly half of US states, and a slew of Republican election deniers are running for positions charged with overseeing state elections. What's more, most Republicans still favor a twice-impeached Trump for president, despite the fact that at least one former aide has said he would absolutely impose some form of autocracy in a second term, and some of his cabinet members have warned he's a threat to democracy. This is not the Republican Party I signed up for. And to that I say, yes, it is. Yes it is. Trump is the logical conclusion to the Republican Party, to years of pandering to to extremists and getting more and more extreme over the years. I mean, he correctly identifies voter suppression as anti-democratic. But this isn't a new phenomenon. This didn't just start after the 2020 election at the behest of Donald Trump. This has been a common thing. The GOP has always relied on voter suppression to suppress the votes in particular of minority communities so they can win and, you know, make sure that they stay in power. And they are all about staying in power by any means necessary. And this is kind of the typical point, right? Because demographics are indeed changing. Younger voter, voters don't identify with the Republican Party. So they can't just let demographic changes, you know, change the outcome of these races. They actually have to rig the system in their favor in order to continue to be electorally viable. And, and you know, reaching out to younger voters, reaching out to minority communities is out of the question because the way that they get support is by fueling white rage. The way that they distract people from all of the things that their oligarchic donors are doing is by trying to blame immigrants, scapegoat minority communities, LGBTQ plus people. And this isn't just a Trump thing. This is a GOP thing, broadly speaking. So I'm glad that he saw the light. But if you didn't see the warning signs there, then it just, it feels really, um, I don't know what to say. Like, again, It feels bad because I'm conflicted. On one hand, I want to encourage people to change. I want to celebrate people uh, when they do change. And when people leave the GOP and explain how it's not a reformable party, it's not even a functioning political party at this point, it's a death cult. Like, when people do that, I want to celebrate that. But when you're a public official like this, I I feel like you've got to know better. How do you not see what everyone else Has seen. You don't have to be a political scientist to see that the writing was on the wall, that Trump was the logical conclusion to what the GOP's project was. That at some point, the GOP's proto-fascism would inevitably devolve into real, full-blown, violent, undemocratic fascism. I mean, history has showed us that this is what happens. And now, the GOP base itself Is starting to embrace violence much more. A poll released in February of 2021 by AEI found that 39% of Republicans believe political violence might be necessary. And white supremacists in Michigan were convicted for plotting a civil war. I mean, these things don't happen in a vacuum, they're all connected, right? Now, it's good that he's doing this. Like, overall, I think that this is a necessary thing. And what I want is for one person to do this and create a sort of domino effect. But the problem is that this individual, he's not high profile enough to really make that big of a difference. You need really high profile Republicans to stand up and say, I'm not just an anti-Trump Republican, but I'm literally leaving the party because it's not reformable at this point. You can't just expect this fascistic party to change directions when they are full-blown authoritarians at this point, effectively. I mean, how many people think the election was stolen? 70%. He cited the poll. You can't reform that. You can't get them to think suddenly that our institutions are going to be conducive to democratic change. So they're going to more and more opt for extra-democratic means of affecting political change. And oftentimes, that leads to terrorism, violence as a way of, you know, changing the country. Hence why 40% of Republicans almost believe that political violence is necessary. Now, he gets something hugely wrong here. He says that there are still good Republicans like Liz Cheney. Now, I'm sorry, Liz Cheney, she's not a fascist, but she's still a psychopath. Her foreign policy is insane. I mean, if you listen to what she said with regard to Ukraine and Russia, she wanted a no-fly zone, which means she's okay with basically shooting down Russian planes over Ukrainian territory. That's what would be entailed with that if you wanted to enforce that. And that would almost certainly lead to a direct confrontation. I mean, it is a declaration of war on Russia, to be clear, and that could catalyze World War III, lead to nuclear annihilation. So it's like, How are there any good Republicans? How can you maintain this when your options are fascists or warmongers who might get us all killed in a different way? I mean, see, the problem is that if you're going to disavow the Republican Party, you've got to swear it all off, swear it all off. There are no good Republicans. Now, when I say that, I'm not referring to To the base. I think a lot of them are stupid and misinformed. But when I say there are no good Republicans, I'm talking about elected officials. None of them are good. They all know that the issue is serious. Because if Liz Cheney actually were serious about trying to stop her party from being extreme, she could actually stop voting with them. She could actually propose legislation that would economically help her base. So that way, you know, her party doesn't have to scapegoat immigrants for their economic issues. She could explain, listen, I am the one who's trying to help you unionize and raise your wage, but they're not. They're anti-labor. They're against basic human rights. And this is the recipe for fascism. Neoliberalism always leads to fascism. And if you don't have a strong opposition like the Democratic Party, which they are not strong, it leads to fascism. I mean, we've seen this time and again throughout history, but also we have modern examples. Tayyip Erdogan in Turkey would not have been able to become a pseudo-autocratic leader, kill democracy in Turkey had it not been for the weak opposition in Turkey, the liberals who just wouldn't stand up to him. So, you know, it's like, on one hand, I'm so conflicted because, yeah, this should happen more. I don't think that he's going to be, you know— The one that makes the damn burst and make a bunch of Republicans in unison all disavow this party. You know, I don't think that a single issue like abortion is going to make it happen. What's going to make it happen? I don't know. But, you know, it's a good thing when it does happen. But at the same time, it just feels bizarre that somebody like this, who's a member of government, didn't actually know what the Republican Party was, didn't actually know what Trump was until he saw it firsthand. And again, I applaud him for being the voice of reason, apparently, in Trump's administration, but I mean, until more people have a little bit of foresight, then things are going to continue to deteriorate in this country. You know, looking back and acknowledging that you were part of this cult is one thing, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But, you know, having the foresight to be able to anticipate where the trajectory is headed— That's something entirely different. And until more people wake up and read the warning signs and educate themselves, things are going to continue to get worse. Alleged comedian and self-proclaimed progressive Jimmy Dore is getting very close to just saying what he's been thinking for probably quite some time, that Republicans are good and you should vote for them. Now, this is someone who started with TYT Network he was one of these firebrand progressives, at least that's what he branded himself as. But over the years, his content started to shift. He never criticized Republicans. He would criticized Democrats, albeit from an ostensibly left wing position. But he'd always ignore what the Republicans were doing. And then over the years, he's burned more and more bridges with people on the left, myself included, as more of us have called him out. And now he has basically no allies on the left because he's burned all of those bridges. And he basically took away all plausible deniability during COVID when he went full anti-vaxxer, when he started to go on Fox News and give Tucker Carlson daily tongue baths, or I should say weekly tongue baths, because there was a moment where he was going on his program like weekly. But either way, I mean, at this point in time, I feel like you have to be very dense to not see him as an obvious right wing or at least a useful idiot for the right. But now he's going to help you out and just admit, yeah, I think that maybe you should consider supporting Republicans. So take a look at what he says about Donald Trump and how anti-war Donald Trump was. So what were they really afraid of with Trump? They were afraid he
3: wouldn't do this. That's what they were afraid of. They were afraid he wouldn't go along with them. Because he didn't come up in the Republican farm team. He didn't come up in the organization. He didn't have groomers, Trump. Trump didn't have donors for his whole life like everybody else. He was a donor. So he didn't owe favors like everybody else. They couldn't control him like they could control everybody. So what they did was they concocted Russiagate, red-baited him for four straight years, and impeached him twice. Because he didn't have his mind right. So if you were the anti-war person, you should have voted for Trump and the Republicans. That's what this means. If you're pro-war, you vote for Joe Biden and the Democrats.
2: I was trying to save abortion. That's why I voted for Biden. (laughs) I mean, can't you put a little bit more effort into your fake laugh, Jimmy? Come on. (laughs) Like 95% of his show is him fake laughing and his wife fake laughing at him. And it's not even convincing. Like they're not even trying. They're like, hmm. Like you have to smile when you're
4: laughing. (laughs)
2: That's that's neither here nor there. Uh, But so basically he says Trump didn't have groomers. He didn't have donors. He was a donor. So we're going to get to the main thing about Trump being more anti-war. But I've just got to touch on that because that is so patently absurd. Donald Trump didn't have donors necessarily uh, in the primary in 2015, but make no mistake about it. He took big money, and regardless of who bankrolled him, he was still obviously a shill for multi-billion dollar companies. Remember how he flip-flopped on drug price negotiations after meeting with an industry shill? I remember that. He also questioned why they couldn't just expand Medicare to everyone and claim that we should have healthcare for everybody before industry shills in his own party convinced him to go back in the opposite direction and take away what little health insurance Americans have, as shitty as it is. So think about that. He Like, he came into office saying we should have healthcare for everyone. And that he went in the opposite direction of taking away healthcare, trying to take away healthcare, do what he possibly can do to make sure less Americans are covered. And even if we're covered, it's not peachy keen. The insurance in this late stage capitalist hellscape is is trash. It's garbage. But I, I mean, still, he's trying to undo what little progress was made, if you can, you can even call it progress, right? Uh but yet all of a sudden, uh, Jimmy Dore is claiming he was this sole actor who wasn't controlled by special interests this is the guy who cut taxes for all rich people and you're claiming that like he's not a shill for his donors come on he also says uh, so if you are the anti-war person you should have voted for trump and the republicans that's what this means if you're pro-war you vote for joe biden and democrats now he has up a headline on the screen from the new york post which says that biden is uh going into Somalia. Now, if you were to be disingenuous, you could argue the opposite. Biden did commit atrocities with drones, of course, but he still drastically reduced the drone war. He pulled out of Afghanistan, something that Trump said that he would do, but never did do. So you can make that argument. But that wouldn't be a very fair argument to make because the picture is much more complex and it's important to be nuanced. Making a definitive statement about, you know, Trump or Biden being pro-war or anti-war doesn't make sense because it's not true. Both of them are very hawkish and militaristic, and I absolutely hate that we don't have an anti-war party in this country. Both parties are absolute sellouts, and they are beholden to the military-industrial complex. So, to describe a leader in any party as anti-war on its face is absurd, but, like, let's just remember what Trump did while he was in office, the supposedly anti-war president. As Jordan Sheridan points out, LOL, anti-war Trump who armed Ukraine with 210 Javelin missiles bombed Syria. V Towed the resolution to end U.S. involvement in Saudi genocide on Yemen, increased U.S. troops and money to NATO nations, increased troops in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. What a clown. Yeah, and on top of that, he increased the drone war by 400 plus percent. Even libertarians uh, like Rand Paul's organization was pointing this out. Obama did the same thing, he got in office, ramped up drones, and then he ramped them down once they were getting reports and pushback about all of the lives that they were killing, and then Trump got in office, did the opposite. Raised them up to higher than they've ever been before. Now, also, the Vanguard points out, because some clowns are pretending that America First Republicans are actually principally anti-war, like Marjorie Greene, that's what they're referring to, here are just some of the things off the top of my head that Donald Trump was responsible for while president. Moved the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem at the behest of Netanyahu. Continued funding Israel. Armed Ukraine. Bombed Syria. Vetoed bill to end weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. Assassinated Qasem Salamani, Escalated with nuclear armed countries on Twitter. Failed to pardon Julian Assange. The conspired to assassinate Assange, considered bombing Mexico. Walker Bragman reminds us that he dropped the mother of all bombs on Afghanistan. Yeah, and you can go on and on. Trump also withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal, which was essentially a peace deal between Iran and the United States and other countries. He unilaterally withdrew from that deal. So, you know, you can make this case that you know sure biden is very hawkish he's done a plethora of very hawkish things and i'd agree with you but the difference is that nobody on the left is claiming that biden is anti war that would be preposterous he's done some things that are good overall objectively like getting out of afghanistan bringing down the number of drones that the united states uses but to say that he's anti-war would be a misrepresentation because he's just not it's factually incorrect but jimmy Dore is claiming the opposite He's saying Trump was actually anti-war, even though that's demonstrably false. But the reason why Jimmy Dore is deceiving his audience is because he wants them to vote Republicans. He wants them to support Donald Trump if he runs in 2024. This has kind of been his entire project. This is the culmination of what he's been leading up to. He wants to sheepdog people into the Republican Party that's what he wants to do so take a look at what he says about ron desantis he's going to make a disingenuous pitch for ron desantis and then when we come back i'll tell you why what he's saying is just completely false and so now look and now they give a right winger like desantis
3: who should be repulsive to people who are on the left now they make him attractive and how are they doing it watch here's what here's what he says uh but clearly uh our entire principles that the country was founded on uh,
0: you cannot have a ministry of truth in this country and so let's get real here let's let's make sure that we're doing things to benefit uh floridians and americans uh but we're not going to let biden get away with this one so we'll be fighting back
3: They're, the democrats are losing everybody who ha- gives a lick about liberty freedom uh it, it's civil rights they're they're losing everybody they tried to paint trump remember during black lives matter that trump with a crazy authoritarian who's going to send the army into the city well now joe biden is doing worse <clears throat> and so they're making guys like that look attractive if you're if you're for freedom if you're for free speech and and civil rights and liberties Who
2: are you going to vote for? This guy or Joe Biden? Tough call, though, isn't it? No, not really. Ron DeSantis just this week signed a bill into law banning protests outside of private homes. He also signed a so-called anti-riot bill into law that granted immunity to drivers who ran over protesters. This is your free speech guy, Jimmy Dore. He also signed a modern version of Don't Ask, Don't Tell into law, which literally censors LGBTQ teachers and forces them to hide their identities from students so they won't be fired. But yet Jimmy Dore is saying, if you're pro-free speech, how could you not support this guy? How could we not support this guy? How could you support this guy if you want to actually be perceived as being pro-free speech? He is signing bills into law that are unconstitutional. And yet Jimmy Dore claims that you should support him if you're pro-free speech. I remember there was one time on Jimmy Dore's show he smeared me and claimed that I'm for censorship like a motherfucker because I thought that it was okay for Steven Crowder to be demonetized when he was doing targeted harassment of a gay content creator. Now, Jimmy Dore, on the other hand, that's all he cares about. Like, the freedom of speech battleground, it goes down to Twitter and YouTube because that's what affects Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore, he's not going to go protest at the homes of people's houses. He's not going to go and, you know, join these Black Lives Matter protests. So this doesn't affect him. But these big tech companies banning people, that affects him. So that, to him, is where the free speech battleground takes place because all he cares about is money, his own reputation, you know, his own image. But remember how he claimed that uh, AOC uh, or protesters should go to AOC and the uh, the fraud squad's houses. That's what he called them because they weren't fighting for Medicare for all enough. But yet this governor who he's tacitly endorsing is saying we're going to ban people or actually he did ban people from protesting outside of homes. And Jimmy Dore is saying, well, this is the free speech guy unbelievable. I mean, if you think Jimmy Dore is a leftist at this point, you need to get your head checked because he's very clearly telling you, I am no longer a leftist. I'm with Republicans. I'm not even pretending to be against the duopoly anymore. I'm just saying, vote Republicans now. That's what he's saying. Take his word for it. You heard him there. Now, he also self-reported by saying DeSantis, uh, who should be repulsive to people on the left, is now attractive. But he is repulsive To people on the left. He's attractive to you from your perspective because you've shifted ideologically. You've become a right winger over the years. And again, this should have been evident when you began to show up on Tucker Carlson's show on corporate media. I mean, he once railed against corporate media, called all of them hacks, and rightfully so. And now, you know, he is a friend of Tucker Carlson, defends him. He's in bed with all of these mainstream individuals on the right, Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, but yet everyone else is the sellout, but not Jimmy Dore. I mean, this is very clearly gaslighting and mental manipulation, and the only audience who's with him currently, who actually has brain cells, is the right because he's doing what they want. But if you're a leftist and you're still watching Jimmy Dore, I mean, I don't know what to say. If you're watching him to hear the conservative perspective, then okay, that makes sense if you want to hear that. But if you're watching him because you're a left-winger who wants uh, to hear left-wing principles espoused, then you're in the wrong place. How often does Jimmy Dore talk about how capitalism is bad? How often does Jimmy Dore advocate for socialism? Never. So he's just an op for the Republican functionally at this point. He might not vote Republican yet, even though he's telling you that he wants to do that. But I mean, everything that he's done is in service to the Republican Party. He's either their useful idiot or an operative for them. But it's a distinction without a difference because he's doing their propaganda relentlessly and he's getting paid handsomely for it. Look at how much views he gets on these videos. It's insane. He also said they tried to paint Trump, remember, during Black Lives Matter, as a crazy authoritarian who's going to send the army into the city. Well, now Joe Biden is doing worse. Yeah, I love the soft defense of Donald Trump there. Oh, they were trying to paint him as crazy. He literally tweeted out, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And guess what? People heard that call. They showed up, these right-wing militia members showed up to these Black Lives Matter protests with guns and they intimidated protesters. They were protecting property, not human lives. But Jimmy Dore is saying, oh, they tried to paint Trump as crazy as he was threatening to use the Insurrection Act. I mean, in my city of Portland, there were unmarked vans with federal agents who kidnapped peaceful protesters. They just picked them up off the streets, threw them in the van, didn't know where they were taking them, didn't know nothing. But yet, Trump was not authoritarian, but Biden is. Now, what he's referring to there in this clip is Biden's disinformation government board created to combat misinformation. And look, I'll acknowledge that disinformation is a serious issue. And as a society, we need to find some way to combat it. But I personally do not support this board because I see how easily it can be abused. I understand that when Republicans are in power, they can do worse with it than Democrats could even imagine doing. So I don't necessarily support that. But just because Biden has that doesn't make him inherently more authoritarian than Donald Trump, the president who literally considered doing martial law so he can illegally stay in office. I mean, at this point, Jimmy Dore is just selectively choosing what to talk about to create a specific narrative like this is quite literally quintessential right wing propaganda. But yet, if you ask him, he might say, well, yeah, I'm still progressive. Does anyone really believe that? Jimmy Dore knows he's not progressive anymore, but he pretends because, you know, Having that plausible deniability is important for propaganda purposes. You know, he can have Tucker Carlson bring him on as the leftist who disagrees with the left, which really goes to show you how unreasonable they are if they have their own side disagreeing with them. But Jimmy Dore isn't a progressive. He's just a rank-and-file conservative. He agrees with them on literally everything at this point, and when he doesn't disagree with him, they bully him into compliance. He talked about uh, critical race theory last year, and then it got massively disliked when we could still see the dislikes, and then he shut up about it after that because he had a good take on it. He actually claimed, yeah, actually, it just sounds like it's teaching history and it's not that big of a deal. His audience ripped him a new asshole, and then he shut the fuck up about it because he's been captured by his right-wing audience that he's been cultivating for years. So, shout-out to Nitsky. 8 9 for coming up with these clips. I don't have the mental capacity to withstand more than a few minutes of Jimmy Dore, so I wouldn't see these clips if Nitski hadn't shared them. So I appreciate that. But I mean, at this point, it's pretty obvious. I shouldn't have to say this. But if you think that Jimmy Dore is still a left winger or a progressive, you're just horribly mistaken or possibly stupid. I mean, this man is a right winger at this point. He's very clearly becoming a partisan Republican. And if you can't see that, Open your eyes. Joe Rogan is going to provide us, inadvertently so, with a really important lesson. And this is how misinformation spreads, at least one of the ways that it spreads. Usually, I think it's probably a game of telephone of sorts between podcast hosts, where they'll hear one of them say something, then they'll repeat what they've heard, and then, you know, before you know it, it spreads. But Joe Rogan is going to seethe over a story coming out of Australia, ostensibly. And uh, basically, this is a story about how they're going to ban people in a certain area from growing their own food. The story on its face sounds absurd, and if I saw this headline, I would think twice and maybe question it. I think a lot of people with BS detectors would maybe think twice before just accepting this, but not Joe Rogan. So he's going to talk about why this is so bad, how absurd it is that the government would take away so much rights from people, and then he's going to find out the story is completely bogus. Take a look.
0: You know, I want to find out what this is, but I read something briefly, and I didn't get into the article, but they were saying that they were trying to pass a bill that would outlaw you growing your own food Mm -hmm. in Australia. Oh, my God. Did you read that? No. It was a part of Australia. I think it was New South Wales. Someone was trying to pass a law. That won't allow you to grow your own food. Oh, and they were saying, Well, you could grow your own food and what if the diseases from your food? It infects the population, kills us all. Oh, they we can that. have that. Oh, they pulled that that card. I wanna know what what their justification was, but I'm pretty sure it had to do with like agricultural contamination or you know, like I mean you could justify it if you're a real piece of shit. You could say, Well, you know, most pandemics have come from agriculture. Man, animal agriculture. Mm. We can't have unchecked pig ownership. <laughs> That's not fair. We can if you're growing vegetables. What have your vegetables ever got in mm. them? And diseases. <laughs> fucking creeps, man. These fucking creeps. They they got a good grip on people during the pandemic. They locked yeah. everybody down in Australia, and then you know what? We gotta stop these motherfuckers from growing their own food because that's how you fucking smoke out an anti-vaxer. Yeah. Make, make you can't even grow the, go to the grocery store anymore, and you can't grow your food. No, dependent. Take that shot, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find anything? No. You are now dependent upon um, the state. Passes bill. No, I mean, I know what to look for. I'm just it's not nothing's coming up. Uh, the closest thing I could find was something like this. I don't. That's not new what food. No, you it's, were not, saying. it's not. Oh, it's not New Zealand. It's in. Uh, it's in Australia. I know, but this is close. New Zealand is like right around the corner. Could have. Um, There's got. It's got to be a, a real thing. Mm. It seems too good to not be. It's. It's obviously. Um, no, I it typed in uh, outlaw growing food in Australia, and nothing. Not a single thing comes up. Hmm, hold on. Except for that, which was a false thing. Growing your own food. They want they want us completely dependent. Yeah, I can't find it either. On, Damn it. Um, it. Better not be fake. <laughs> it might be fake.
2: But it, that, even if it's fake, right? Like, the fake is usually the warning. Sir, I don't know who you are, but please, for the love of God, stop being so stupid. I could create a story about anything. Um, There were flying demonic monsters with horns and wings spotted off the coast of Astoria. Um, Is that some sort of a warning because it's out there? What are you even saying? Like, this is the problem with Rogan's guests. He'll bring on somebody who has no unique thoughts of their own most of the time, and they'll just be a yes man. Just affirm everything that he's saying. Yes, they want you completely dependent. Government is bad. Um, Well, you know, even though this story is fake, maybe it's a warning. Is it, though? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that this is a warning, this fake story? I just, Jesus Christ, I feel like, as a society, there's so many people who just proudly wear the fact that they have no common sense on their sleeves. There should be more, like, self-awareness here. I mean, especially if you're going on this podcast where you're going to be broadcasted to millions and millions of people. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Now, I've got to say, before I talk about what Joe Rogan was discussing here, that impression that he did of the supposedly authoritarian Australian politician trying to ban people from growing their own food, that was so cringeworthy, it made me want to jump out of my skin. But I mean, he's the comedian and I'm not, so maybe my little non-comedian brain can't fathom the inherent hilarity of that impression where he makes himself look like a fool. Um, but he starts to really go down this path as to why the government would possibly want to implement this law. Uh, that's how you smoke at an anti-vaxxer. You can't even go to the grocery store anymore and you can't grow your own food. Boom, then they have to get the shot, right? Um, except how many anti-vaxxers were basically sustaining themselves for months, years during COVID lockdowns by growing their own food and raising their own livestock? How many people actually like functionally lived off the grid. I mean, do you really think that this would be a ploy to get people to take the vaccine? Isn't there more effective methods to get people to get vaccinated, like going through employers? I mean, when you think about these types of things for more than a few seconds, you begin to realize, okay, this really doesn't make a lot of sense. But he's convincing himself. Like, he's not thinking it through, he's getting more amped up as he speaks about this because of how absurd this is. And and sure, like, if this were true, this would be absurd, he'd be right to be angry, but it's not true, and it's absurd. But thankfully, he got fact-checked by his producer, uh, who I believe is named Jamie, and it almost seemed like he was irritated that Jamie couldn't find this bullshit article. Like, Jamie was trying to find what he was talking about, but it didn't exist, because it's not real now the question is where did joe get this idea and uh my initial thought was well of course it's got to be somewhere on facebook this is how a lot of boomers come to political uh conclusions they saw it on facebook and sure enough this image has been circulating around facebook and it's about the agriculture legislation amendment bill of 2022 which will supposedly ban people from growing their own food of course this is not true I mean, we all have to have conversations with our loved ones who are older, who are new to the Internet and explain to them why everything that you see on Facebook isn't necessarily true. And you need to be diligent and think about whether or not what you're seeing is real find a different source, uh, try to, you know, question the reasoning of what's going on. Like, we have to have this conversation. I've had conversations with people in my family about this, uh, and I feel like it's, it's landing. Like, I feel like it's helping them to figure out what is and isn't bullshit on the internet. Like, people need to know how to decipher these things. So, we all, I feel like, have to find some way to talk with our loved ones, older ones specifically, about this thing. Joe Rogan, um, someone near him needs to have this conversation with him, but there's more details about this. So NBC News reporter Brandi Zandrosi gives us some more information about where this myth originated. She says Twitter search shows lots of folks claiming the same. A lot of the videos and tweets include a screenshot from something called Apex World News. So, who is Apex World News? The account is a typical breaking news type of misinfo account. No ownership listed, spammy, and unverified content. It does list the website, but expired. To the way back. Site looks junky, serves ads, and much of the content is authored by a Grace Sawali. There is a person on Twitter with this name not linking, and she shares a lot of Apex World News links. She's also deeply religious and a fan of one particular preacher. Ubert Angel, a British Zimbabwean who preaches the prosperity gospel, uh, God wants you to be rich and he'll make it, so if you give me money, uh, I don't know, just go with it. And a little googling shows us that Angel founded Apex in 2020. Just for good measure, we can take a look at the website and domain tools and see that Apex shares a mail server IP with other sites, including those that clearly belong to the preacher. So I wouldn't get my news from a so-called Prophets Junk News site, but you know who might? Rogan fan, vaccine critic, ivermectin-loving friend of the intellectual dark web, Chris is a self-described financial analyst and founder of a self-help-slash-actualization thingy that's definitely not an MLM. So it's a junk news website created by the founder of a pyramid scheme. Now, there's a lot of these junk news websites that exist. They form to essentially get clicks. And it's all about the ads. They don't even really need to put content there. Sometimes if you go to a legit news website, there'll be an ad that pops up with fake headlines if you don't have ads uh, disabled. And it'll show like these weird bombastic headlines, just insane things, just untrue. They're essentially tabloids. And all they want is for you to click on them so that way they get ad revenue. It's not even about generating news. It's just about getting clicks so you get to see their ads. That's all that it's about. So. The goal isn't necessarily even disinformation, it's just about making money. So these things are out there, they exist. And so Joe Rogan was duped by it. And you know, I'm glad he caught himself here. I'm glad that he was fact-checked, but imagine if he just spread this lie to his audience of 11 plus million people how quickly other people would be parroting this, how quickly this would devolve into a gigantic conspiracy theory. This is why I hope that this triggers some level of self-awareness. And Joe Rogan thinks, okay, I really need to think more about the things that I say to my 11 million followers. I need to be more introspective myself. I need to maybe vet these sources that I find. And if I see a headline on Facebook or a meme on Facebook, perhaps I seek out, you know, uh, a source, find out what this is really about before I talk about it on my massive, massive platform, but I mean, maybe that's too much to expect from the number one podcast in the world, but I mean, it's like, you know, for me, I have a much, much smaller audience than Joe Rogan, but I feel an absolute sense of responsibility. I want to make sure that whatever I say is accurate, it's verifiable, and that you can Google what I'm saying and fact check me yourself, right? but he just doesn't seem to have that responsibility. But nevertheless, I'm glad that he caught himself. But just let this be a lesson, Joe Rogan, that you can't just pick up every single stupid fucking thing that you see on the Internet. You actually have to do a little bit more than just reading a headline or seeing a meme on Facebook. Are you a man who's previously had sex with a woman? Well, I've got some news for you. You might want to sit down for this. You're gay. Yeah. This is according to Nick Fuentes, white nationalist, who claimed that it's literally gay to have sex with women. And the only way to be a straight alpha is to be an asexual incel. And he's going to explain this in the following clip.
5: People calling me gay because I've never had a girlfriend. I think if anything, if anything, it makes me less gay. If anything, it makes me not gay. <laughs> As opposed to less gay. Not that there's any gay, but it makes me not gay. Well, because think about it this way. You know, a gay person... Gay people do date girls all the time. I'm real. And when I said on Elijah Schaefer's show, and they said, Have you ever been in a romantic relationship? Have you ever had sex with a girl? And I said, No. If you... Name searched me on Twitter, as I always do, all these gay people are coming out and saying, I've had more girlfriends than Nick. I've I've had sex with more girls than Nick. So, like I said last week, not only is not only is that thinking flawed, but actually it's the reverse. That actually makes me really more heterosexual than anybody. If if we're being if we're really being honest, never having a girlfriend. Never having sex with a woman really makes you more heterosexual. Because honestly, dating women is gay. Having sex with women is gay. And having sex with men is gay. And, and you know, it's really it's all gay. And if you want to know the truth, the only really straight heterosexual position is to be in a cell. So that's all there is. Being MGTOW, sexual incel is really the straightest position that you can have. Ha- sex in itself is gay, I think. I think that it's really a gay act.
4: with,
2: Think about it, what's gayer than, like, I need cuddles! This is all I need, I need the... It's,
5: it's all very, it's all very sus. I need to spend time with a, with a little sauce. A little bit sauce. So I think, I think, really, I'm like, you know, the straightest guy. That-
2: yeah, don't think so. Now, I honestly don't know if he's being serious here. I, I think that maybe he's being half serious, partially facetious, but he... He laughs, and that leads me to believe that he at least acknowledges that what he's saying will be perceived as insane to most reasonable people, if not everyone, even unreasonable people. But, I mean, there's part of me that thinks that because he's a committed incel, and if you're part of his America First movement, you also have to be a committed incel. So, in a way, he's trying to, I don't know, make, make himself feel better by ascribing meaning to his inability to get laid trying to create some sort of a pseudo-ideology around him being an incel, I'm not necessarily sure, but at least he kind of believes this at a minimum, right? If he believes this, then we're seeing cognitive dissonance, but either way, I mean, this is just, it's bizarre, it's stupid to say something like this, it's genuinely idiotic to say something like that, because no, having sex with a woman if you are a man is quite literally the opposite of being gay, but what's interesting is that by his own standards, um, he's gay because he previously admitted in a podcast appearance on the Blaze that he is fully intending to one day engage with gay sex with a woman. Take a look.
5: Yeah, I want to get married, but more out of necessity of like having producing a male heir is really the the whole point.
2: So I'm not sure if he's aware of this, but in order to have a child, you actually have to have gay sex with a woman, Nick. So how are you going? To pull that off i don't know if he's going to use a turkey baser, but I, I mean you can't have a kid unless you have sex with a woman if you're planning on conceiving naturally now perhaps he'll be married and then opt for adoption uh opt for you know um in vitro fertilization i i, I don't even know like this is honestly so idiotic that to even try to dissect it it makes me lose brain cells but the more that i think about this the more i'm convinced that He's absolutely serious because again being a committed incel is crucial to the America First movement and this raw story headline illustrates the importance of being an incel quote white nationalist america first group plunges into chaos after high ranking official gets a girlfriend Yeah, now now the article goes on to explain, the America First movement has plunged into turmoil after its treasurer started a romantic relationship and moved out of the group leader's basement. White nationalist Nick Fuentes, the right-wing group's leader and associate of representatives Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene, urges his followers to abstain from sex and he describes himself as an incel or involuntarily celibate. This led to the nonprofit group's treasurer, Jaden McNeil, to resign and call America First a cult, reported the Daily Beast's fever dreams podcasts members act so racist and ridiculous in public that it ruins people's lives said co-host kelly whale on the podcast you can't go and get a normal job after that so they turn further and further into this movement which really does function almost like a cult and that really does make sense i hadn't previously thought of it as a cult but that absolutely makes sense i mean if you have ruined your life because you basically came out as a proud racist then who wants to associate with you?" So of course, your only option is to get further entrenched with this cult and double down and triple down, and so it's just it's weird. Um, it's it's very weird the more that I learn about this movement or whatever you want to call it. Um, but if you're wondering why Nick Fuentes is an incel, he claims that he is celibate on purpose so i guess that would make him a vol cell right but either way if you're wondering why he's an incel well it's because he believes that women should be second-class citizens and they should have um as much rights as the taliban permits women to have in afghanistan this is literally something that he said in public in a podcast appearance with uh the blaze so let's watch
4: if i'm understanding your question correctly if you don't want them to vote or drive or or are have an existence akin to what they would have in, say, Saudi Arabia, you would say that in large part, then they don't really have rights. Well,
5: I would say probably the ideal is something more like Afghanistan, if I'm being totally honest. Like re- so recent, what, what's the recent difference between Afghanistan, Afghanistan,
4: Afghanistan then, and <laughs> Saudi Arabia?
5: Like the brutality, I guess. It's like a little, slightly more brutal. Of course, Taliban rule, not not American rule. I'm talking about, you know, recent, recent so Afghanistan. So you want
4: women to have the same treatment as women have under Taliban rule in Afghanistan. Something approximating that, yeah.
2: Gee, I wonder why it's so hard for him to get laid. It's because of things like this. You're broadcasting to women that you think that they should be subjugated to second class citizenship status. Why would they want to be with you if you think that they are literally inferior to you? Who would want to be with someone like that who inherently disrespects them nobody would so you being an incel is of your own making and because he's unable to get laid he forces everyone else in his cult to also be celibate it's just it's so ridiculous now he referenced uh the appearance on the blaze that we just watched where everyone made fun of him and they were making fun of him because he didn't have a girlfriend uh but that's not what They actually were making fun of him for. He claims that it was because he doesn't have a girlfriend, but it was because the interview was so awkward because he goes on to describe how, you know, women shouldn't have rights and then the host asks him, and this is a conservative woman, by the way, she asks him, you know, if you've never been with a woman, then why, who are you to say this? You know, if you don't have experience with a a woman, who are you to say that, they should live a certain way and his response here is incredibly cringeworthy and it went viral because of how awkward it was.
4: You also promote like the way of interacting with women and I go have you been in a relationship with a woman? No. So how are you telling other people how to behave towards women where you yourself have not had any actual physical you know interaction with them in a romantic capacity or in fact in any capacity where you you know uphold them in a way that treats them with respect. I mean, if, if you're out here arguing that women are basically half the value of... Well, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, in fact, because that's not right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you are looking to some other regimes around the world that do think that women are half the value of a man, I have to question what kind of a person who's had no experience with women is in a position to, to you know, basically promote these ideas.
5: Well, I'm having an experience with a woman right now, <laughs> and I've had lots of experiences with women in my life, not, not romantically <laughs> per se, but... You know, I've, I've talked to enough women, I've been in, you know... <laughs> I've known enough women to know sort of what's going on. I think any man who is observant enough, and honestly, you know, like I said, we could go back to great geniuses. We could go back to people that have been in relationships. Like a perfect example is like the pickup artists. You know, if you ever notice, the pickup artists who have the most relationships with women and the most sex, they what they say is that really with women, it's the same bag of tricks. Uh, to seduce a woman or whatever and I think that kind of tells you something about the nature of women that you know you go from woman to woman and it's the same kind of like little tricks little things you could say or whatever to kind of hack them and whatever and I think that kind of says it all about their nature
2: painful absolutely painful so you know he is an incel and he's trying to intellectualize his incel status but there's no deeper meaning to you being an incel women don't want to be with you Nick Because you're a prick, you're a bad person, and you think that they're inferior to you. You think that you're better than them when you're not. You're just insecure about your own sexuality and manhood. So, I mean, it's just—this is so bizarre. You would think that a statement like this should get the cult members to kind of look within and think, okay, he's literally telling us that having sex with a woman is gay. That's just so absurd on its face that I can no longer participate in this cult because I don't want to be associated with that. I mean, you'd hope that the racism would turn them off, but I mean, him telling them, hey, now it's pretty gay to have sex with a woman so you can never get laid. I mean, what incentives are there for people to be in this cult just for a sense of community? Perhaps that's all that it is. I'm not necessarily sure, but I've got to say to think that um, it's gay to have sex with a woman if you're a man is a... not very smart, we'll put it that way. In fact, it's deeply, deeply stupid.
6: Of course, you're not working to import as many new citizens as we can in the United States to replace all the disobedient ones who didn't vote for us. In other words, you're being replaced and there's nothing you can do about it. So shut up. The great- Replacement theory, it's a lie, they yelled. George Soros has nothing to do with that, stop talking. They said we were espousing something called the Great Replacement Theory, a well-known racist fantasy. The Great Replacement, they acknowledge that it's real and they love it. This policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. The Great Replacement plan is working.
2: That was the most popular cable news show host in America using overt white supremacist talking points on his program. Now, on this show, we've talked about how the Great Replacement Theory is extremely dangerous and explicitly white nationalist, but over the weekend, as you probably heard, one white supremacist decided to take action over this particular issue that's been talked about on Fox News, and he committed a massacre in Buffalo, killed 10 people. As John Keeley of Common Dreams reports, taken into custody at the scene of the mass shooting at the Topps Market and identified as Peyton Gendron, the white 18-year-old male, charged with the murders of the victims, live-streamed his attack online, where he also posted a detailed 180-page document that has been described by those who have reviewed it, including journalists and law enforcement, as a white nationalist manifesto rife with anti-black racism, anti-Semitism, and conspiracy theories about white replacement. According to Local News 4 in Buffalo, the document, which News 4 has reviewed, plotted the attack in grotesque detail. The writer plotted his actions down to the minute, including diagrams his path through the storm and said he specifically targeted the Topps Market's location on Jefferson Avenue because its zip code has the highest percentage of black people close enough to where he lives. Now, in his manifesto, he referenced the Christchurch shooter who murdered 51 people in a mosque in New Zealand. And I mean, this is going to keep happening. That's really the tragedy of the situation, right? This is going to continue to happen. Um, specifically, domestic terror attacks by white supremacists will continue to happen because this is the specific environment that right-wing media is fostering currently. And it's not like this is some incident that happened in a vacuum and it's isolated. No, this is all the culmination of years and years of brainwashing by the far right. As Sam Sachs put it, the forces that drove the Buffalo mass shooter are the same that drove reactionaries to storm the US Capitol on January 6th. These aren't isolated incidents. They're all part of the same political project and it's making gains." And he's absolutely correct about that and there's a lot of blame to go around to be clear. But nobody has done more, contributed more to the project of mainstreaming white supremacy Tucker Carlson of Fox News. And just a couple of weeks ago, the New York Times published an article about Tucker Carlson explaining in detail how he did mainstream white supremacy. It's titled How Tucker Carlson Stoked White Fear to Conquer Cable, and that he did. But in response to this article, did Tucker Carlson offer some thoughtful response? Did he explain why, no, this isn't white nationalism? He didn't deny it. He just posted a picture of himself with the newspaper, laughing it off. Yeah, so it's a big joke to him. And perhaps he sees this as a victory. We don't necessarily know what is in the mind of Tucker Carlson, but what we do know is what he is putting in the minds of white supremacists like the one that committed this massacre. And, you know, some of you might say this isn't Tucker Carlson's fault because he's talking about the Great Replacement Theory, but he's not encouraging people to take action themselves. But to that, I'd say you're wrong because he actually has, on multiple occasions, called people to take action in the United States trying to constantly egg them on and say, how long are we going to put up with this? Take a look at this compilation.
6: They're trying to change the population of the United States. And they hate it when you say that because it's true, but that's exactly what they're doing. Is anyone pushing back at all? I have less political power because they're importing a brand new electorate. Why should I sit back and take that? How much longer do you think Americans will put up with this? How long before Americans start to take border enforcement into their own hands. We have absolutely the right to know. We should demand to know now. Every time they import a new voter, I become disenfranchised as a current voter. No, they're not allowed to do that. Why are we putting up with this? Most people go along with this absurd standard. They dutifully shut up. They don't think they have a choice. You wonder how much longer they imagine Americans are going to go along with this. It can't go on forever. But you can see why they're trying it. Demographic change is the key to the Democratic Party's political ambitions. Our leaders have no right to encourage foreigners to move to this country in order to change election results. Abrupt change causes social chaos, always. What will the consequences of that change, of that revolution be? In your bones, you know the answer. It's terrifying. And it doesn't have to happen. You cannot overstate the scale of demographic change underway right now in the United States. It's a direct assault on our democracy. They don't even really care about your vote anymore. Their goal is to make you irrelevant. You're just an American citizen, shut up and obey. They know that calling you a racist is the fastest way to make you obey. In other words, you're being replaced and there's nothing you can do about it. So shut up. (laughs) If you don't obey them, they denounce you as a racist. Why do they do this? They do it because it works. But here's the thing it can only work if you play along with it and
2: we don't plan to make no mistake about it these are implicit calls for violence listen to the language here is anyone pushing back at all nobody's doing something about this replacement of us how long before americans take border enforcement into their own hands that's a message to the viewer he's implanting in their heads this thought that maybe they should be the ones to take action because these immigrants that democrats are importing here is taking away our democracy it's stripping their voting power which is untrue but he's getting them to think something has to be done why is nobody standing up why are we putting up with this he called uh importing of immigrants a revolution of sorts. He said the words revolution. So you've got to understand that over the years, he slowly but surely ramped up the language. And over the course of multiple years, he's fed his viewers a consistent stream of white supremacist talking points. And the more his viewers buy into the premise, the more explicit he can be. So he doesn't have to dance around the issue of white supremacy. He can just explicitly say they're replacing you. The great replacement is real. Diversity is bad. Immigrants make the country dirtier. And they believe it because they've already bought into the premise and even actual out and proud white nationalists like nick fuentes are saying yeah what i'm saying is what tucker carlson is saying so i guess my talking points are more mainstream than uh, i previously thought take a look
5: i watched a clip from tucker carlson's show and i noticed that tucker carlson was saying the exact same thing that i said last night and that's okay and in the spirit of America first, and we've got to get used to saying this. I saw that monologue and I said, OK, OK. So, you know, my talking points, I guess, are now mainstream that enough that they're on Fox News.
2: Yeah, that's a white nationalist saying I'm hearing what I think, what I say on Fox News through Tucker Carlson. So make no mistake about it. Tucker Carlson has blood on his hands. He helped to inspire this. He's not the only individual but he's one of the most influential pushers of white supremacy, the most uh, significant individual on the right who's mainstreamed explicit white supremacy. And things are going to get worse. He's going to tear this country apart, but Fox News is perfectly fine with him doing that because he brings eyeballs to their network. And it's all about money over everything else so this situation is going to get worse in the united states because the right is continuing to push for violence they're amping up their rhetoric they're becoming more extreme and far right and the mainstream media in this country is so bamboozled by the right themselves that we're still talking about the far left and the threat that they pose as we have multiple domestic terror attacks being carried out by white nationalists so it's horrifying but the last thing that i want to end on is honoring the victims here because i think that their names are really important so uh this is according to nbc news nine of the ten victims have been identified at the time that i record this video and their names are katherine massey aaron salter Pearlie young ruth whitfield celestine cheney hayward patterson roberta drury andre elliott mcneil and margus morrison i feel absolutely horrible for them They were just there at the grocery store. One of them was picking out a birthday cake for his son. um, And then they were murdered by a white supremacist because he was uh, egged on by extremists and he became an extremist himself. And he decided he's not going to sit by and take it, that he should be the one to take action after being convinced that um, he's being replaced. White supremacy is a sickness and our institutions have white supremacy embedded in them and this disease is prevalent all throughout this country and unless we actually stop white supremacy by removing it from institutions and pushing back against it aggressively things like this will continue to happen because this is the environment that the far right has fostered and they're going to try to deny responsibility we're seeing it online they're denying that right they're saying no this isn't a white supremacist the shooter's actually a leftist like they're going to do that because they refuse to believe that what they're doing is leading to violence but make no mistake about it it is leading to violence and a lot of them like tucker carlson they want this this isn't like you know an unintended consequence this is a feature of their rhetoric this is what they wanted it's this it's the desired outcome So I've got an interesting story here. The group that helped to sink Madison Cawthorn's career, well, now they're saying, we're not done. In fact, we have a new target. And that individual is Lauren Boebert. So as Nicole Gadiano of Insider explains, the group that posted a viral sexually explicit video of a nude representative Madison Cawthorn in bed with another man is now focusing on representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado for its next takedown, Insider has learned. I think we're going to go after Lauren Boebert in Colorado in a similar way, David B. Wheeler, a co-founder of the American Muckrackers Pack, told Insider Wednesday. I think we're going to engage in that race pretty quickly. The group on Thursday launched fireboebert.com seeking tips on information, pictures, videos, or documents on Boebert or her associates. The first tweet by Fire Boebert read, Hi, Representative Boebert. Ask Representative Cawthorne about us. We look forward to getting to know you. Their logo, a dumpster fire, emblazoned with Fire Boebert. While Wheeler is a Democrat, his co-founder is unaffiliated and the group counts some Republicans among its advisors. Wheeler told Insider on Wednesday he'd already received interesting information about the Republican firebrand, whose primary against GOP state senator Don Corum is on June 28th. The information is certainly Not as salacious as some of the Cawthorn stuff, he said. It deals instead with financial matters, he added, declining to disclose more details. Now, it seems like they already have quite a bit to work with. I mean, I'm sure that they will, you know, accumulate more details about Lauren Boebert, but they already have quite a bit to work with. This is an individual who failed to disclose that her husband raked in almost $1 million working as a consultant for energy companies. And obviously, this is bad because it's a conflict of interest. But she also introduced legislation to reverse Joe Biden's bans on fossil fuel extractions on federal land. So yeah, I wonder if her husband's career had anything to do with that. Now, additionally, when she was dating her husband when he was 24 and she was only 17, that's a minor, by the way, he was arrested for exposing himself to two young women at a bowling alley and then was subsequently banned from said bowling alley for good reason. So, I mean, they've got a lot to work with. Now, I've got to say, there's something about this that does feel inherently gross, and I think that the reason why I have a bad taste in my mouth about these types of efforts, even if someone like Lauren Boebert deserves it, is because I've seen these types of PACs and organizations go after leftists so many times for example you know how many organizations have went after members of the squad or nina turner when she was running for congress dmfi democratic majority for israel they did this to you know um keith ellison when he was running to be the dnc chair back in uh, 2017 and they always smear them as you know anti-semitic because they dare to support palestinian rights and condemn the actions of the israeli government like they go out of their way to try to frame them in a poor light and it's it's immoral, it's unethical, because it's not deserved. But in this instance, you know, I have no problem turning a blind eye to this because this is the one instance where it's actually deserved, where Lauren Boebert, there's evidence that she, she's actually corrupt and she's doing the bidding of her donors and the industry that benefits her personally, monetarily. So, you know, when it is targeted against someone who actually deserves it, it's fine but um you know when it comes to the left they're usually the victims of these types of smear campaigns and they're usually wrong but the way that this group went about this is actually interesting because rather than trying to create a narrative what they did is they just found incriminating videos and they they shared them so i mean if you're doing that then i really have no issue with it and because Lauren Boebert herself is a smear merchant. She's referred to members of the squad as the Jihad Squad, who are Muslim. I mean, this is somebody who has no principles no integrity she's actually corrupt so you know i'm not going to shed any tears for her even if i've got to admit that these types of efforts do feel really gross the website itself is firebobert.com as the article pointed out but i just want to encourage my viewers to not donate to this organization i mean we don't necessarily know the leadership here we don't know who's funding them so don't waste your hard-earned cash on, you know, these types of efforts, that money is better spent supporting local races, supporting candidates, uh, people running for Congress who are not taking corporate PAC money. Uh, So, you know, overall, I've got to say Lauren Boebert deserves this, and I hope that this effort pays off if they're going to target these insurrectionists, the most extreme members of Congress. Then yeah, I mean, I mean, people like Madison Cawthorn and Lauren Boebert, they shouldn't be allowed to run for Congress. Like, they should literally be barred from running, because they pose a threat to democracy, quite literally, because of their participation with the insura- uh, insurrection on January sixth. But I mean, you know, if they're gonna target these types of people who actually deserve it, then yeah, I-, I think that that's justified. It's warranted. But usually, these types of shadowy groups, who you don't know who's behind them, target good people in Congress. They target progressive candidates who are who are running for office and trying to make a difference. So, you know, it feels gross, but at the same time, as I said, not going to shed a tear for Lauren Boebert. And I hope that this effort pays off because she is an objectively terrible human being and a bad lawmaker who's corrupt. And I think that there's somebody better who can represent that district. It's not her Republican opponent, but I mean, it's definitely not her. So, you know, we'll leave that there.
6: All right. Anyway, 75.
2: You just watched former president and war criminal George W. Bush make what I think is probably the biggest Freudian slip ever, at least biggest Freudian slip of the century. It's amazing that um, (laughs) that that happened. It's almost surreal to see that. Um, But, you know, watching this, it really... It gets you to think how absurd it is and how perverse our society is that we allow that war criminal to just walk freely, go on about his day, speak to thousands of people to thunderous applause. I mean, if you saw Charles Manson, I mean, he's dead now, but if you saw Charles Manson just out in public and you knew that was Charles Manson, you were certain of it and you knew this guy committed murders, what would you do? Would you just be like, hey, there's Charles Manson. No, if you're a reasonable person, you would call the police so they can apprehend him because you want to make sure that, you know, he doesn't hurt other people because he obviously causes a danger to the public or poses a, a danger to the public. And you'd also want him to be held accountable for the crimes that he committed. But when presidents commit mass murder, it's like, mm, well, I mean, that's just what they have to do. Presidents have to kill. Except they don't. I reject that. That's something that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better about our country's imperialism and war crimes. But it's not actually something that we have to accept. We just do. We choose to allow these people to commit war crimes and never be held accountable. Now, we're going to talk about why it's the case that it's so ironic for George W. Bush to, ta- to talk about Vladimir Putin's war crimes. And he's correct. Vladimir Putin is is a war criminal and he should be prosecuted. I mean, bad messenger, but it's still true. The problem is that George W. Bush and other administrations have made it nearly impossible to hold war criminals accountable because of the ways that they've delegitimized the International Criminal Court. Now, before we get to that, I just want to talk about some reactions here. Hassan Piker tweets out, In a just world, his entire administration would have to answer for millions they murdered, but George W. Bush gets laughter for his admission instead, because America is the hegemonic imperial power and our crimes will go unaddressed until our empire inevitably crumbles. Sad truth there. Representative Ilhan Omar writes, when your guilty consciousness catches up to you and you end up confessing but no one cares to hold you to account the laughing is disturbing and telling of who this man and his audience are no care for the thousands of u.s troops and hundreds of thousands of iraqis who died in his war yeah and we should always talk about this whenever george w bush is brought up we should always remind people what he did now the death toll is uh it's hard to pin down it ranges between 200,000 to over a million deaths it depends on What you count as a death. There are direct deaths as a result of war, and then there are indirect deaths afterwards. You know, the civil war that he catalyzed in Iraq between Shias and Sunnis, uh, the indirect deaths that are, you know, caused by war with regard to uh, lack of medical care, uh, famine. I mean, either way, the amount of blood on his hands makes him one of the most murderous figures in American history. And we're just— we're okay with not holding him accountable, apparently. Um, so, why is it so difficult to hold war criminals accountable? I mean, we have an international criminal court, but they never go after the big dogs. So, why is this the case? Well, because the United States and multiple administrations, both Democratic and Republican, have sought to delegitimize the international criminal court, which is why, even if, you know, uh, there are war crimes committed and you have definitive proof of that, you can't really hold a leader accountable because... This court lacks teeth because of the way that our government delegitimized this court. In an article by Joel Mathis published in The Week on April 4th, he explains, American leaders have spent the last two decades undermining the International Criminal Court, which prosecutes war crimes, genocide, and other crimes against humanity. The U.S. has used intimidation, sanctions, and the heft of its hegemonic power to guarantee that none of its soldiers or officials will ever be brought before the court, no matter how deserving they might be. A short history, the U.S. under President Bill Clinton, was initially a signatory to the treaty that created the court. We do so affirm our strong support for international accountability and for bringing to justice perpetrators of genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity, Clinton said, on his way out of office in 2000. We do so as well because we wish to remain engaged in making the ICC an instrument of impartial and effective justice in the years to come. That didn't happen. The treaty was never submitted to Congress, and in 2002, George W. Bush, who was already contemplating an invasion of Iraq, unsightly signed the treaty, saying the U.S. would not submit to the ICC's jurisdiction or submit to its orders, but the U.S. didn't just go absent from the treaty. Later that year, Bush signed the American Service Members Protection Act, which made it illegal for U.S. authorities to cooperate with the court in any way, and which authorized all means necessary and appropriate to rescue any American or allied official from the court's clutches if it ever came to that. Human Rights Watch dubbed the law, the Hague Invasion Act. Even that wasn't enough impunity. In 2020, the Trump administration led Sanctions against the International Criminal Court prosecutors. The Biden administration later reversed the measures, but the message was sent: don't even think about investigating or charging Americans with war crimes. The message was clearly received. Now, in case you're wondering, since President Obama wasn't brought up in this article, he also did not support the United States joining the International Criminal Court. Obviously, since we're not part of the ICC, and his administration also sought to undermine the court. Now, ask yourself, why would Obama do this? Well, it's it's pretty obvious. George W. Bush created a drone program that Obama then ramped up when he got into office. And Barack Obama's administration is responsible for the slaughter of countless civilians in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia. And aside from the war crimes, invading the territory of these countries was illegal under international law. In fact, a Pakistani court ruled that these drones were violating their sovereignty, but they still stayed there. They still continued to kill civilians with impunity so Obama didn't want to join the ICC because like his predecessor he could be prosecuted so the reason why it's so hard internationally to hold war criminals accountable is because you know the United States really being the global hegemonic power if they're not going to submit their authority to this you know international entity and hold their own officials accountable why would anyone else do the same Even if they're a signatory to the icc the united states has worked to undermine them and weaken them so they what can they do really so i mean if everyone uh in the united states like george w bush is outraged about what uh, vladimir putin is doing in ukraine and everyone should be because these are absolutely war crimes well thank yourself because not only did you set this standard where countries can invade other countries with impunity who weren't attacked, but you also made it so that way you just can't prosecute war criminals. Yeah, so that's George W. Bush. You know, he probably thought about Iraq because maybe it's weighing heavily on his conscience. I don't know. You know, I don't know how he sleeps at night, knowing how much blood he has on his hands. But it's truly just not only hypocritical, but insane that he would condemn the war crimes of anyone else. I just I don't know what to what to say about this clip, but it's it's fascinating to see him make that uh, make that Freudian slip and then immediately regret it. I mean, the look on his face, it said everything. So yeah, you know, until the United States starts holding their own accountable for war crimes and our allies, for example, in Israel, Saudi Arabia, accountable for war crimes, then nobody else can be held accountable for war crimes because you are the ones creating the standard by violating human rights and not respecting human rights.
1: Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.